Welcome everybody, another week, another episode of the Thrill Me podcast, I'm your host Adam, my co-host Jared is beside me, Adam, happy to be back in, in the mix after a two-part shit fest, oh, always, <laughs> today's episode should be a bit better than the last in mm. terms of quality of the film, uh, today we're going to cover 2009's My Bloody Valentine remake in 3D. But before we get to that, quick sort of around the grounds, what have we been watching recently since we last recorded? Nothing. Nothing at all? I have watched nothing. Didn't even slide back into the Robocop box? Or? No, mate. I've no. been very busy. Very, very busy. busy. All right. Mine was mine was pretty small as well. I watched an old Bruce Willis thriller by the name of Striking Distance. Mm. It's a paycheck film. That should have been left in the past. Yeah, it's a paycheck film. It's not, not particularly bad, not particularly good. It's just middle-of-the-road sort of stuff. I also found on YouTube a film from my youth. When I was a young, about 14-year-old, I was having a made-over for a sleepover. We went down to the video store. Dad hired a movie called Iced. Right. <laughs> which is a slasher film set on the ski slopes. I think it was from about 88, 89. Mm. Now, there were two things I noticed as I watched this on YouTube. The skiing scenes comprise of long shots of people who have minimal skiing skills, followed by close-ups of the actors going, ha, he, he, <laughs> make it out like it's really fast and they're actually doing it. They're obviously not. The second thing was 10 minutes into this film, there was a sex scene involved where, I, I kid you not, I think you can see the guy's balls. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not joking. Okay. And you saw it was YouTube. As I, <laughs> it was. <laughs> as I watched this, I thought to myself, I know there isn't a playbook for parenting, but I do believe fourteen-year-olds having sleepovers, slasher movies with sex scenes, guys nuts. It's not a good mix. They're scrotum free. Yeah, <laughs> preferably. Yeah, Dad, hitting it out of the park once again <laughs> on the uh, parody front. But this continues your obsession with uh, water. I mean, even if it's frozen, you've got a bit of a thing for <laughs> for <laughs> horror flicks that are set in the snow. Yeah, yeah I don't know why. Um, I don't know why. Uh, Dad still to this day makes out that I was the one who picked this, and continues to say it's your fault. Remember that stupid movie Iced. And I'm like, I was 14, man. <laughs> I had no control over hiring that shit. So that's all I watched. We'll take a quick break and then we'll dive straight into our critique of My Buddy Valentine. Again, scrotum free. Exactly what did you see? There was someone else down there and he tried to kill me. On January 16th, witness the most frightening 3D motion picture event to tear through the screen. My Bloody Valentine 3D from 2009. It is a direct remake of the 1981 slasher My Bloody Valentine. A quick synopsis. Basically, there's a mining collapse in a small town. Uh, A heap of uh, about five or six miners are trapped. When they finally dig them out, there's one survivor. Turns out he's killed the others with a pickaxe. And he's now in a coma. His name's Harry Warden. Ten years later. Was it ten years later? No. No, I don't think it was. No. He wakes up, I believe, from the coma, goes on a killing spree in the hospital. Yeah. Yep. And he's then shot and killed. Ten years then it's later. Ten years later. Yep. Tom Hanniger returns to the small town to sell the mine that belongs to his father. And another lot of murders begin to start up. Allegedly done by this Harry Warden character dressed up as a miner. It's directed by Patrick Lucier, I believe his name is. If that's how you say it. He directed Dracula's 2 and 3. White Noise the Light. I didn't even know there was a sequel. Yeah, White I knew Noise. there was a sequel. Didn't a- watch it. And Drive Angry. Mm. Yeah, I don't know much about that one. I haven't seen yeah, it. Yeah, I've seen it. There's seven different producers on this film, two of which the are executive producers, John Dunning and Andre Link, who actually created the original film. It's written by Todd Farmer, who... Scripted one of your favourites, Jason X. Mm. 
and Drive Angry, and Zane Smith, who has no other writing credits. It stars Jensen Eccles from TV Supernatural as Tom Henniger, Jamie King from Sin City and the remake of Silent Night, Deadly Night, and on TV on a show called Heart of Dixie as Sarah Palmer, Kerr Smith from Final Destination, and he was also on Dawson's Creek. He plays Sheriff Axel Palmer, and the, uh, the great Tom Atkins. Yes. Who plays Burke. He was, of course, in Halloween 3, Night of the Creeps, and Lethal Weapon. Yeah. This movie was budgeted at a tidy sum of $15 million and made worldwide $100 million, which is pretty good Bunsen burner, I believe. Mm. Your general thoughts on this film, Jared? General thoughts are it's very good fun. Yeah. I actually did see it in the cinemas, and I believe it might have been around Valentine's Day. Yeah. Uh, so Great I'm, one to take the wife I'm to. I'm really romantic like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think it was a situation where there wasn't a hell, hell of a lot else on. Um, so or, we went for or it. alternative to the situation of, um, yeah, we're going to the movies. What are we going to see? Oh, my bloody Valentine. <laughs> no, no, no. It wasn't anything like that. Right, I, think, right. I think it was pretty pretty light on when we went <clears> to the movies. Okay. And we both thought it was pretty funny. Valentine's Day, we're going to see my bloody Valentine. Yeah. But... Um, this this 3D in the cinema was great fun. Yeah. It's one of the few movies I can recall from this sort of second era of 3D that actually was worth it. And overall, I just find the film to be a fun slasher. So three and a half out of five, I think. Yeah, I think I'd agree there. Three and a half. It's good fun. It doesn't take itself that seriously, but seriously enough in the key points that necessarily makes it you know, a decent sort of horror. The 3D's fantastic. And all in all, it's a good bit of fun. It's nothing special, so to speak, but it'll keep you interested and entertained throughout. So I also give it three and a half. Likes, mate. What do we like? Well, uh, you sort of put down that it was, it's an entertaining throwback to the old slasher films. And that's a pretty good, pretty good way to put it, really. Mm. It never pretends to be anything more. Yeah. Just wants to have fun with it, and it is entertaining. It succeeds in what it what it sets out to be. Yeah, it doesn't get too overly complex. It doesn't get going into like weird, different territory or trying to do new things with the yeah. old slasher formula. It does exactly what the slasher formula offers, and it does it well. Yeah, for the most part, the the introduction of the three D or the addition of the three D really lends itself to this movie. The yeah, pickaxe. The just the idea of the pickaxe as the main weapon of choice, yep, continually getting pushed towards the screen. And the 3D in this is not like, say, Avatar, which was sort of that that really quality sheen that made everything pop. This is the sort of 3D where you poke something at the screen in an effort to make it come out at you. You know, it's yeah. not always in your face, but big things like guns, pickaxes. There's a there's a bit at the start where you see a hand hanging down off a um off a gurney yeah bleeding that in the in the cinema that's right up in your face yeah and it's sort of I mean it did go with that um with that effect of you know stick something at the screen but it didn't come off as cheesy as as say a Friday the Thirteenth Part Three um, or something like that where it was just that's all they had in the in the What's wrong, what's wrong with eyeballs flying at the screen well, and, look, and juggling not, up into a three D camera I'm not saying that was that was well, it was pretty bad. It was a pretty cheap way to do it, whereas this one sort of emulated that style but put a little little more thought into it with things mm-hmm. like that hand and things like the you know, the blood heart on the, on the window and things like that. Yeah. Uh, there was a little bit of it, – it wasn't necessarily everything was planned to be like that, but it kind of worked well, and for the most part I think they got those bits right. Yeah, and they had better special effects to do things like throwing the pickaxe at the car windscreen and things like that, and it just worked really well. Exactly. Seeing it in the cinema, it was was awesome. It was one of the only 3D films I can remember in my life thinking, wow. Yeah. You know? I was really wowed by it the first time because it was just when the real D format had come in, the non- Blue and red glasses, the, the yeah. clear lenses, and and now they're all. I believe they're all in that format. Yeah. I think I uh, I think I called it the second era of three D. Yeah, that's probably not correct. Probably to the say, third. But I guess but that modern the modern era of three D. In fact, it probably was one of the first, wasn't it? 
in that new era. Yeah, it was. Yeah. I remember seeing it in the cinema and I I did really enjoy it from the 3D standpoint, which is surprising because later on, a couple of years later, you began to see those post-conversion ones that were just shit. And it's terrible. It's funny that they didn't try a few more slashes in this style. Yeah. Because it's one medium that, that lends itself. It's one sort of subgenre that lends itself really well. Yeah, yeah. Knives and the yeah. like yep. went towards you. And people jumping, you know, jump scares and things yeah. like that. And, and look, as far as I'm concerned, My Buddy Valentine did it really well. It did it. Most, part, uh, out of all the 3D movies I've ever seen in the cinema, this is the most memorable. Yeah. I, I was a big fan of location. You know I'm a locations guy. I like well, I like my small towns and stuff. There was a river. So there was a river, you've... body of water, you're in. You love the location, the visuals. I love the visuals. <laughs> I love the visuals of the river. <laughs> no, I agree. That's the small town felt really small town. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's a mining town and there's a a blue collar feel. Yeah. Um, I, that's if if I had to and, and yeah, I know we're not going we're not comparing the two um, the original and this one. But if I had to, that's this is probably the one thing that's not as good as the original. The original does have a, a really interesting blue collar dynamic, partially because you know it was actually shot down there in that town, and yeah, you know, a lot of the actors were from around the area and the like. But for the most part, it gets it right in this sort of day and age. You know, it does it does it pretty well, and it, it lends itself to this. The minor character in general is one of those really really cool sort of. Looks and of course, you know, being a mining town, it has to work that way. Yeah, well, uh, the miner himself is is a like on its own. Yeah, he looks awesome. Yeah, really, really well designed and quite intimidating and mm. scary. So, and the you know the 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 sound of the breathing. Yeah, I can tell you, I went through the um, uh, the Halloween Horror Nights at Universal Studios. I went through the My Bloody Valentine maze. No. Oh. And the minor, the minor works really well, especially in that when you're seeing it up close. Numerous, uh, numerous. you wore the brown undies. Yeah, pretty close. <laughs> yeah. I, there was one one fella in front of us who um ran out of the ran out of the place screaming. Seriously? Yeah. We went through one where there was like I shouldn't say that because we're going to the werewolf escape. Yeah, yeah. You'll, I'm sure you'll do something like that. Screaming. But yeah, the, the, the one of the bodies on the floor was supposed to, be, you know, he was supposed to be dead. Hmm. And then it reaches out to try and grab you, and it sort of went to grab this bloke on the foot, and he's like, "Oh, jeez!" Ah, and he's backing up out of the place, not realizing that when you walk the through the door, behind you. the miner's there to swing a swing a pick at you, and he turned around and screamed <laughs> and ran out of the place. <laughs> oh, gold! I gold. thought it was yeah, it was pure brilliance. It sort of broke the tension. Anyone else that was sort of a little bit jumpy Laughed just started it. laughing. And... <laughs> I actually think the best scene in the entire film. For me, is the scene in the supermarket where they're closing up for the night, and yep. he that they keep doing very early on. You know, the camera sort of prowling across, and then you'll see the miner standing at the back of the aisle. Yeah, and then they'll pan, pan back, and he's gone. That it was a really, really suspenseful scene. It really works well. Everything about it is really, really well done. Mm. Um, from the acting to the direction to you know the gore effects to everything. And I think it's it's one of those slasher movie scenes that probably, certainly in the new iterations of slasher films, it's one of the best scenes that's been done in that in that world. Yeah, I'm probably not as high on it as as that. Um, like I I don't have it as a particularly you know memorable scene or in the in the best sort of scenes or anything. But it is it is textbook slasher. Mm. It is really you know. Peering down the aisles and having having him show up and disappear and and things like that, it, it does do that very well. Yeah, gore, plenty of plenty it, plenty of it, plenty of it, like yeah. copious amounts. It's R rated. It was R rated here in Australia, and for good reason. Yeah, it is quite graphic in its violence, and even though the tongue is slightly in cheek a little bit on this movie, would you? I mean, I, I sort of feel it, it's kind of a little bit cheeky in the way it's done, but the gore really does set you back a little bit, you know, to understand, okay, we're, we're getting serious in some yeah. of these scenes. Look, I think it is it is over the top, but in a good way. Like, it sets the tone. From the get-go, when you first go into the hospital, one of the first things you see is a body literally in half. 
You know, so yeah, yeah, there is. You're yeah. kind of not taking it overly, overly seriously because there's blood everywhere. Yeah, but it really does set the tone for the movie. And I, you know, I'm not necessarily a gore hound, but some of those scenes were just again done really well, put put together with the 3D aspect of things. They really put a lot of thought into those set set pieces. Yeah, absolutely. I guess a movie like this, it doesn't skimp. That's the one great thing I I like about this film is. A lot of slashes around that period and remakes and the like were starting to go towards the PG-13 in America looking for bigger dollars in, on your first weekend yeah. and less of your, your, you know, your rabid fans. Yeah. Unfortunately, it does have the odd CGI blood spatter and things yeah. like that. Um, most of the time... Well, when Tom Atkins gets his jaw ripped off, you know, the yeah. whole thing is pretty much CGI. That Most of the time you sort of let it pass or it's not too obvious, but there are those those couple of times when it is, uh, and that sort of takes you out of things a little bit. But it doesn't hurt it again because the tone has been set that it's that And you're not a fan of that shit, are you? No, I'm not, a, I'm not a big fan of the CGI stuff, but I can see why they did it in this one because everything had to be really controlled for the yeah. 3D yeah. aspect. So I kind of give them a pass. Yeah, I would too. And, and look, I'm, I'm, as I said before, I'm very happy that they went down that route of, of the R-rated, quite sort of heavy gore rather than trying to sneak in this PG sort of stuff and, and get away with it. Yeah. Uh, which has hurt a lot of these remakes in the past. And we'll, and we'll go on to talk about some further remakes um, a little bit later on. Uh, and some of the films we'll talk about found that as a bit of a problem, I think. Hmm. One thing I did like, Jared, um, probably my major, I think what they, they probably did really well in this film is they at least give the characters enough flesh and a few little sort of motivations are a bit murky on a couple of them. So there's possible suspects in the mystery because it is a mystery in the end. There's a mystery as to who is actually doing this. And they do a decent enough job in the writing process to give some characters a few, mm, you know, you're just not sure about this guy or or this person. Their, their, Their motivations are a little bit dicey. Could it be them? Yeah. Well, I don't know... I wouldn't, you know, it's it's definitely not like a character study. Or no, anything no, like that. God no. But I think it's, I mean, looking back at it, I'm not so sure it's necessarily the characters or that they play with conventions. So what they do is they they have something like Axel sleeping around on his wife. Hmm. So, and he's a bit you, of a prick. Yeah, and be, because you're watching a slasher, you immediately think, well, he's going to get killed off. When he doesn't, you start thinking, well, he might be the killer. Yeah. Then they throw something in like uh, Tom being seen in the in the footage that they get of the murder. Yeah. So, again, you think he's the, he's the good guy. So they're setting up a bit of a he's got to get himself out of trouble, you know. Yeah. And then they they throw in a little bit of, um, you know, the, the body of Harry Warden disappearing. So yeah. you think, well, it's hang on. Possibly, it could possibly be Harry. Yeah. It could be the old sheriff yep. and his cohort. Yeah, well, but they, they reckon the, they killed him. Touching on the Harry thing, they throw enough of the little twists on the conventions that you think when the body's there, you, you think to yourself, maybe they are going with a bit of a Jason, you know, something, mm. someone rising from the dead. Yeah, that's right. Even something as simple as the, sh- the deputy sheriff, Tom bails him up and says, now, why were you down at the mine earlier on today? And he says, listen, I ask the questions, you don't. Yeah. It, it just, it's, it's nothing much, but it's enough to, again, throw a smidgen of doubt, well, yeah, why was he down there? Yeah. and What's they his do, caper? They do that enough and, and twist on the conventions enough that by the time you get to the end, you may still be surprised. Yeah. Is that everything in the likes category? Yeah, I think that's that's. I think that pretty much it. covers it. And it, it, it certainly moves at a reasonable clip. Even at 100 minutes long, it's not overstaying its welcome. It's entertaining and, and it has got plenty of energy throughout. Well, I guess that's one of the likes. I know we spoke we spoke uh, about the intro, how it's a bit lazy, considered a bit lazy in, in script writing and filmmaking terms to, to give things, uh, that, to give exposition in flashbacks and yeah. things like that. But it really worked here. Yeah, they yeah. just laid it out from the get-go, and within 10 minutes, you've, you've had two killing sprees, basically. Well, just to put people in the loop who haven't may, maybe haven't seen it, 
the the opening credits, or it's actually pre the opening credits, I think, or it's during. It's part of the opening credits. It go for about two minutes, and within that two minutes, we are told by a series of newspaper headlines, uh, news uh, news um, sound bites, you know, things like that. We are told that there was a mine collapse because. Someone, uh, Tom, Tom, failed to, to bleed, bleed the, 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 the gas lines. Five men were trapped. Only one was still alive. That was Harry. Turns out Harry had killed them all to conserve his own air. And then he was in a coma and he was in hospital. That takes maybe two and a half minutes. Yeah. And to me... And then you're in the hospital. And, and you know, people go, oh, you know, it's, it's, it's lazy and whatever. I don't think so. I thought it was fine. Well, I don't it's, think it's lazy it was the best way to do it. It's lazy in some contexts. Yeah. I think it worked in this one. Yeah, absolutely. Because it was the only way to get that much stuff without the movie going for another 20 minutes. Yeah, exactly. In so, two minutes, you set up that exposition that... Just set the movie in motion from the get-go. Yeah, and I thought that was really, really good. Yeah. Dislikes. Yep. Some of the dialogue was a little bit poor. Yeah. It's a slasher. It's a slasher, and you're not expecting great things all the time across the board, and there are just a couple of moments that lack a little bit of a polish. Yep. It's kind of, there's there's a rushed feel to some of that, but it's much of a muchness, really. It's not too great. Yep. Um, For instance, the scene where Tom and... And Sarah sort of meet up outside the supermarket before it's opening and they have their sort of little D&M. It's kind of a bit forced. It doesn't particularly go far enough to rekindle to me. It, you know, yeah. th- those two never felt like they were ever going to get back together yet. I think yeah, that exactly. was in a... Te- they were trying to do that. Mm. They were trying to sort of throw that. And, and even by showing Axel as a you know trademark asshole, he, even then we st- I still didn't feel, well, Tom's not really on the radar because he's these guys got no chemistry. Yeah. So I think that that's, that was part of the problem. Yep. I've got two in relation to age, I guess. One of them is the deputy sheriff, the initial deputy sheriff. It looks like he's a deputy sheriff. We know he's a cop. He's about 100. Well, you know and that's, what? That's before 10 years have passed. Yeah, but he turns up in the 10 years later. Oh, no, in the 10 years later. Now, how is he not in a... Nursing home, yeah, well, or he should be in, a, in there or in a box by that, he was, that stage. He was about eighty when he, <laughs> yeah. and you had Tom Atkins as the and sheriff, him as the as the law enforcement. Yeah, you think it? Oh. Um, you you <laughs> think it will just um, if you if you're going to commit a crime in their town, just, do it on just, foot. <laughs> well, I was going to say do it on foot or leave a packet of Scotch fingers somewhere in the vicinity. <laughs> So when they turn up, ooh, a couple of Scotch fingers, Scotchy cup fingers, of tea. No, cup of tea. <laughs> oh, don't worry about it, just kids. <laughs> um, but yeah, again. But, but hang on, Sheriff, that guy's head, his head cut off. Just kids. Yeah, that's right. Um, but after the 10 years have passed, the not only him him and Tom Atkins still very old. They're but, both rummies. Yeah, but <laughs> the, um, the funniest thing about the, you know, the time before the 10 years have passed is they show Kerr Smith and Jensen Ackles. They've both got hats on <laughs> and Kerr Smith's clean shaven. And then 10 years later, no hats. <laughs> and Kerr Smith's got a little bit of a goatee. Actually, Other than that, they don't look any anything. different. And, and Kerr Smith's wearing a beanie. Yeah. So he's, that's right. He's sort of indie, I think. Yeah. Yeah. He, look, he was into grunge. That but. was a, I think that was just. I don't like to say lazy, but it's probably a little bit lazy. Yeah, there was definitely no sort of no CGI money spent on trying to take a few wrinkles out. (laughs) They would have needed about fucking two million bucks to take any wrinkles out of that eighty-year-old. They that was a poor choice. He forgot to iron his birthday suit before putting it on. (laughs) But the the bit that you've probably got the biggest gripe about is the killer's reveal. Or the clue. It's the not clue. actually the reveal. It's the clue that gives it away. Yeah. As to who it is. Now, are we going to spoiler this? I think we have to. Yeah, look. Because this is, you know, the big like. Yeah. A big dislike, sorry, for me. The killer is actually Tom. He is attacked by Harry in the first ten minutes, and he kind of drops his shit, I guess, yeah. after ten years. So it's in classic sort of movie, classic movie terms... There's probably no real psychology behind it, but he snaps and oh, he's been in a mental hospital for seven years. That's right. Yeah, well, that was that's a that's dislike a dislike. On like own, that. but we'll get to that one yeah. on the on the next point. It's kind of stupid, then. But yeah, the the clue, the big clue that they give, it's a little bit on the nose for me. 
because I remember watching it that first time, and when that happened, I just said, it's it's him. Well, look, I never picked up on it. Yeah. So for like, once, I'm a dullard. For one of the few times in my life, I was the smartest man in the room. Yeah, yeah. Probably the only time. Explain what it is. Okay, so he's in the mine, and he's, he gets... Locked in the little cage by Harry, by Harry slash the miner, whatever you want to call him. And there's this sequence where he sort of drops to his knees, and the miner and him are, are shown side on, and they kind of mirror each other for a second. Yeah, and they're and separated s- by the cage, separated by the cage, and then stand up in unison. Yeah. And I remember seeing that, and I thought, it's not, is it? Because I mean, the effect is is. Like a mirror, so I'm saying. I think to myself, this surely isn't it. Then he watches as the miner goes to do his do he his kills thing, his mate, or kills the other guy. But throughout, they're using these effects about you know they're they're sort of dollying in whilst zooming, yeah, out, zooming out. Yeah, yeah, and they don't really use it anywhere else. And the whole thing just felt a bit on the nose for me because I thought, surely they're not going to go with this is him. And, you know, even watching the scene, he's in a box. He's locked away. He's watching it going on. He's sort of distanced. Yeah. And I just thought the whole scene just sort of stank of trying to be really clever but clearly saying he's in his own head watching the miner do this. Yeah, that's right. So it really – that that gave it away for me. And and I like I did talk to a few people about it and not many of them picked up on it. So maybe I just – like I said, for the only time in my life, I was the smart bloke. Look, but, uh, yeah, it just didn't work for me. I didn't hate hate that bit. I agree that it doesn't work. Um, it, it telegraphs. Once you you know it, you know that it's there and you're looking for it. You can test, you can see how it telegraphs. Mm. Um, I like the, the thing I take out of it is at least they went a different direction to the original. Yeah. But... Yeah, the, the the selling of that point kind of just dulls it down because if you pick up on it the first time you see it, you then don't bother with all the other stuff. Yeah. As the movie goes along, they're still throwing red herrings out there left and right. You're not taking any of them well, because that was you the already problem. know that, that that's it. That's Tom's yeah, the guy. That was the problem. It wasn't subtle enough for me. Yeah. Um, I just felt that it was it was clear. When when I saw that, it just it was clear, and I I like what they were trying to do. I like that they put some effort into trying to create a mystery, but gave you an avenue to, to picking up on it. Unlike something like Friday the Thirteenth, yeah. But I just felt that, that when they did give you that clue, it was just wasn't subtle enough. Yeah. the The last twenty minutes. Now you were asleep for most of it. I did. I did drift off. <laughs> but the last twenty minutes just. Sort of goes through the motions. It doesn't really. It loses a bit of energy. It loses a bit of steam. I don't know why. It, it, just watching it last night, I was just thinking, I'm kind of. I've lost investment. Yeah, but you were asleep too. I was partially asleep <laughs> as well. But, but having watched the movie a number of times, it's always that back end that I just don't. For some reason, I don't enjoy as much. You know what I think it was. I don't necessarily think the last 20 minutes was that much of a drop-off. It probably wasn't the strongest bit of the movie, but it's where they drop the mental institution thing, <laughs> and that kind of deflates you a little bit going. He's not who you think he is. He's been in a mental yeah, hospital for seven for years. And you <laughs> just think to yourself, really? Nah. Did yeah. we need that? Yeah, that kind of takes a little bit of gloss off it. Yeah. they could You could have just left that out, and there would have been no difference to the picture. You didn't need that line about the mental mental institution at all. You didn't even need the phone call. We sort of knew where it was going. If you wanted to give a phone call, you could just say, "We found some DNA or something." Like you don't need the mental institution bit. It was just that bit was a bit. But also, as well. that bit also kind of there's a chase through the forest that that ends up down at the mine. You know, through the house that she's got. Then they run down and they run down to the mine. There was no need for any of that. They probably could have just somehow got to the mine, you know, and the movie would have been perhaps five or six minutes shorter or ten minutes shorter, yeah. and it wouldn't have hurt. wouldn't no, have hurt it in any way. So to me, that's the least strongest bit of the film. Yeah, I I can't really disagree with you. Mm. I, I, don't, think, I don't think it was um, 
like I said, I don't think it was too much of a letdown, but it probably wasn't as strong as the rest of the film would be. No, no, point. no. The energy sort of saps out of it. Yeah. And it just seems a little bit forced. And maybe it's yeah. just because we're slasher guys. We've seen all these slasher movies, and it's like anything. If you see the same type of thing, because all slasher movies kind of end a bit similar. Yeah. To the chase, to the reveal, and and maybe you just – maybe just – Last night, specifically, I was just sitting there thinking, oh, you know, come on. We'll you were probably it. thinking, I wish this bloke could In between. <laughs> yeah. Um, it did actually contain one of the real, really cool visuals of the movie, though, when he's walking down. Yeah, and smashing he's the smashing lights. the lights. And each time he smashes a light, there's a flicker of the minor. Yeah, yeah. And I like that. I actually thought that was really cool. Overall, though, I think we've covered it. Yep. As a film, I still think it's an entertaining, fast-paced Slasher film and one of the better ones that came out in the last six or seven years. Definitely, when one they of the cut, they ones. pop back up again. Um, the slasher f- films sort of came back and resurged. I really feel this one's one of the at the top of the pile, especially if you could catch it in three D. Yeah, it did add it did add a lot to it. Absolutely. All right, let's take a break and um, we'll come back with a discussion topic. Yes. Nothing says date movie like a 3D ride to hell. Our discussion topic on this particular episode relates to remakes and some of the do's and don'ts that we think are important if you're going to make a remake. With regards to something like My Bloody Valentine, it's, it's a quality remake of an old property. So I think we'll kick off with the with the do's, the sort of things that you should be doing, and and that's actually one of them. I actually think you've got to go for properties that are older, less sort of known perhaps. Mm. Um, they have a kernel of a good idea that maybe you can do something with. Yeah. They're not particularly great films, the old ones, but there's room to move. Yep. I'm not necessarily too worried about the age. I mean, there's probably you probably should yet let a few years slide, but I'm I'm okay with something like a Friday the Thirteenth reboot happening pretty shortly after a remake. <laughs> in about three years, but I do agree that I think some of the more successful ones have been lesser known properties. Well, for instance, with regards to Friday the Thirteenth getting rebooted again, well, you know, I mean, I think it's hard to. I wouldn't say don't sort of roll them in with the others but something like Friday the 13th there's so much so many people interested in it it's 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 a never ending machine yeah so i guess it doesn't really matter that a movie comes out every couple of years and reboots and and whatever with it well this will be a re remake and a reboot or reimagining or re something in well, so they reckon two in two in what six years or five I years so. or it's like spider-man yeah <laughs> I just think quality properties, like uh, they have good ideas. They're either made on a shoestring or something. So, I mean, you pointed one out earlier on, um, The Hills Have Eyes. Yeah. You know, it's a got the kernel of a really good idea, but due to budgetary reasons and whatever, it's not a great film. Yeah. I was never down with the, the classic status of the first one. Like, I no. liked the idea, but I didn't think it was all that great. The remake, I I love that one. So you take that... Good quality idea, and you you just give it the right flavour, and I yeah. think that's what the remake actually did. Uh, and my bloody Valentine's no different. Mm. It took some of the really good elements of the original, and then just jazzed it up nicely. Took it into the current day, went certain ways that I thought worked really well. I think you got to pick people who are actually passionate about the type of movie they're, they're making. Yeah, I agree. And we, you know, we talked a little bit about this in Halloween Six. Didn't particularly work for that. But no. I am a, a big fan of, especially with remakes, a big fan of picking someone who knows about or is a fan of a um, a series or a movie, so mm. they know pretty much what to mess with and what what not to. Are you, you know, point- if they want to if they want to tweak some things that they know? Okay, well, I'll leave this. Because that's sort of sacred work there, yeah, you know. Yeah. It's like re- perhaps say removing Jason's hockey mask. Yeah, and I, you know, I am someone who doesn't doesn't really have huge problems with with remakes and things like that. I think it's just a something we've been seeing for forever. You know, you look at bloody plays and books and things like that. Back to Shakespeare day, Shakespeare was ripping people, yeah, <laughs> left and, and right, remaking stories and things like that. It's it's not new, you know. 
So I, I don't really have an issue with all this sort of stuff, but I, even coming from that standpoint, I watched something like the trailer for the Scream TV series and I'm a little bit worried that the, the mask has been changed and things like that. Mm. So yeah, know what to play with. You get get people who know know what to play with and what not to. I think that the other, the, I think the problem that some of the remakes get into is it's it's by committee um, filmmaking. You got producers breathing down your neck. They usually hire people who are new to the industry or or just going to do what they're told. Yeah, and that can really fuck these things up. Sometimes mm. you get a, a director and a writer who have been told by producers, "This is what we want." Platinum Dunes. Look, I give – there's a lot of hate for Platinum Dunes and they certainly have fucked up a few things yep. in their time. I will give them credit for bringing some of these properties back, though. Yeah, well, they, I, These things wouldn't exist if these guys weren't running around looking for them. True. Um, they, they have had a, a couple of missteps, but, uh, you know, I'm in the camp that I, I want to see as many of these movies as they can possibly make. So if they want to if they want to roll them out and try something different, hey, I'll check it out. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, you need quality people, though. Like, yep. the Nightmare on Elm Street remake's a classic example of what not to do. They hired a music video director who, as far as I could tell from the interviews I'd read, the guy couldn't give a rat's ass about Freddy Krueger. He, he didn't give a shit. Yeah. And it shows in the, the movie. It's visually arresting. Yeah. But it's garbage. And it also there's also the element, if, if, if the fans know, that you know, the, the real hardcore fans that are going to turn up at conventions and write your letters and emails and things like that, if these people know that you're coming from a place of really trying to trying to do them right, they'll they'll come with you. Yeah. They'll come along with you and give you a chance if you want to if you want to twist a few things around. Yeah. Evil Dead remake, for example, I think they they went with some some pretty cool tweaks on the on the original but they 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 did it very respectfully. Yeah. And people went along with it. And and look that's another thing that people forget about remakes too the fanboys is you know with the Evil Dead remake when they first started talking about it oh there, there may be no ash People started getting the shits. And yeah, like, they were up in arms. A second. The character, unfortunately, the character of Ash is, well, not unfortunately, but he's forever associated with Bruce Campbell. Yeah, And Bruce exactly. Campbell cannot live forever and make these movies forever. He can't do a young Ash anymore. Yeah, so and if they had have recast Ash, then people would have been whinging that it wasn't Bruce Campbell. So I think they made the right choice. Yeah, so do I. Pick the right elements to play with. Yeah, we... I kind of started yeah, sort of touched about on that, that but there, with, but pick the things that are most important to keep, and then see where we can go with them. Mm. It's no use going right. This has to go. That has to go. Oh, it's not. It's not useful in today's world. That kind of bullshit. Because yeah. if you get into that realm, especially with the internet, it's all out there before you've even started. You're on the back foot. Yeah. Again, Hills Have Eyes, really good example of doing this right. Because a lot of the story is is very very similar, uh, but one of the elements they choose to play with is they start to bring in that um, the inbreds and and that clan are sort of a result of nuclear testing. Yeah, in the area, and that was a really it works really well. Yeah, fits in. Yeah, and other than that, there was very little that they really really changed. Yeah, and and look again. Coming back to our first point is people probably don't even remember the original. Great. Yeah, yeah. So it's a bit of an open – you've got an open um, field. Yep. Because no one really looks back on something from 75 or whatever it yeah. was. Yeah. He goes, oh, shit. The other thing the Hills Have Eyes ramped up was the gore. Yeah. You know, they, they worked in a modern climate. Um, Alex, Alex Arjo really sort of ramped that up and there yeah. was some very full-on scenes in there. But, yeah, I would hold that up as a, as a real good example of that point. Yeah. Now, one that I sort of brought up was get, a, get the tone right. Yeah. I think that the problem with some of these remakes is you're not sure where to go with the tone. Sometimes they go super serious on a movie yeah. that wasn't super serious. We'll go meta. Yeah, and, and, you, and you bring in elements and that, that may not be there. A good, a good example of a good getting the tone right was Sorority Row. Which is a remake of another eighties house on sorority row, I think. Yeah, it was. And basically just It sort of stuck with the it was kind of fun and, and there was elements yeah. in it that were kind of um 
a bit sort of humorous. Yeah, but basically just a down-the-line slasher. Yeah, and, and they kept it light enough in the right places but then went to the, the darker places in the deaths and stuff mm. that you were happy with that. Yep. I'd suggest one that's probably got it wrong is Black Christmas. You mm, look at the I Black Christmas that. original, it's a very serious, very sort of darker um, thriller really. This remake took it over the top to the max and all sorts of weird things and started explaining where this guy came from and, you know, it was just ridiculous. It really went overboard. So the tone's got to be right. If you don't get the tone right, you, you potentially lose fans that... The key to any remake, in my mind, is you want to keep the core fans and you want to build on that core base yeah. by saying, okay, exactly. we're going to keep the core fans happy here, but we're also going to give this. Yeah. It's going to bring others in. Yep. And sometimes if you fuck that tone up, if you get that tone wrong, you can forget it. You can potentially lose your fans that you had. Yeah. Like something like Friday the 13th. I think some people were upset because they felt it wasn't a Friday the 13th film. It's hard. I, that- I, I wasn't so down on that, but that was one particular criticism that came out. Yeah. Out of that one. And... Friday the 13th, interestingly enough, it, it probably falls a little bit into this tone thing. You watched the teaser trailer. I watched it the other day. Have you seen the, te- the teaser trailer when it first came no, out? No, not recently. It was just shots of um, the camp and people running and being scared and you can hear the mother saying, his name was Jason, he wasn't a very good swimmer, all that. And then it sort of gives you the ch 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 and then he comes, it shows him coming at the girl and running at her and trying to kill her. And that's all it was. But it was real serious. It had a dark tone. Really dark. The, the, the teaser trailer kind of reminded me a little bit of Texas Chainsaw. Yeah. Remake. And then when you get to the movie, you've got blokes talking about flogging off to Sears catalogs and that guy, that, the, the comic relief guy who was... Just a ball sack, and everybody talked about sex and their dicks and all this sort of stuff. And it just that kind actually, of um, that actually sounds like a Friday the Thirteenth. It, it does. <laughs> but Jason, the tone of Jason was much more serious yeah. and much more aggressive, and and then the tone of the the kids was like meatballs. <laughs> so it kind Nothing of with that. it was a mixture that didn't work. Porkies. <laughs> no, I was drilling holes in walls and looking, <laughs> looking in, into female bathrooms. <laughs> I am, I'm, I'm a bit like you. I'm not as down on the Friday the Thirteenth remake as everyone else was. Yeah, I thought they got some parts of it right. I thought they got a lot of it right. There's just a couple of things that I, I wasn't overly. You didn't like the seedy guy. Didn't like the seedy guy that he ended up the place the where he got off. the mask from. Uh, didn't like that we had to explain that Jason moved through tunnels. If you had taken the tunnels out, I probably would have been loving the thing. <laughs> the tunnels was just purely, it was just stupid. Yeah. Same with the lair and the bells or whatever he had. Just, he ran, oh, like you yeah. said. He chased he explained, him down. It was just simple. He explained how he got there. He, he ran down. And on to the don'ts of any remake. Don't reinvent the wheel. Mm. That's the first thing. Yep. You get too many remakes that are coming in taking away the, the the elements or going, oh, well, we need to go in a different direction. Yeah. For yeah. whatever reason, half the time I don't really know. We'll just take the name yeah, and, yeah. and make our own story. It's like, well, there's, there is a few reasons why people might want to watch it again. Yeah, that's right. And, and sometimes you've got to give lip service to the fans. Yeah. And that is you're taking a property. I mean, I believe there was one a while ago um, that it was initially uh, labelled as a remake to Terror Train. Yeah. And then they renamed it Train Cause and it they turned so it into different. like Hostel yeah. on a train. It was torture porn on a train. And and look, that could have just simply been a misunderstanding. The fans misunderstood that it wasn't didn't have anything to do with Terror Train. Yeah. But if not, it's it's a fuck up. Yeah, massive bad proportions. Idea. And this is what you need to be thinking of, I think, when you're doing a remake is what are people gonna come to? Yeah. If I just take the name and I produce something else, uh, is anyone going to actually turn up? Yeah, and if they turn up, are they going to tell their friends to turn up? That's right. So it's, yeah, it's a bit of a balancing act in that respect. And with slasher films especially, I mean, I think we're talking about horror films in general here, but with slasher films, you cannot, you cannot stray from the formula greatly. 
you need to at well, least have the skeleton in place and perhaps then work off that. Yeah, I think there's places to stray, but, yeah, you want to pick and choose carefully. Yeah, very carefully, I think. Don't stick slavishly to the previous film. I mean, a classic example of that is Psycho, where they essentially just took... Am I... I haven't seen Psycho in a long time. Yeah, the it was remake was shot, basically right? exactly the same. Yeah, it's um, it's kind of funny given that our last point is don't reinvent the wheel. But if you are doing it shot for shot like Psycho did, what's the point? Yeah, is there any reason why we got a remake? Yeah, other than the fact that it was in color. Yeah, so you do. I mean, you have to change certain things, but. You know, say for the Friday the Thirteenth example, they stuck, they started to stick to the formula, and if they had have just twisted it with a more sort of like the, the version of Jason that they had, where he was a little sort of more brutal, I guess, and he used to, he was running and, and moving with some pace and stuff, that almost would have been enough. Yeah, that would have been the element that you probably could have changed, and and and, and no one would, would have, have minded. Yeah, and and with regards to Friday the Thirteenth, they got they managed to shoehorn in. It's like a best of yeah. of the first four films. They managed to shoehorn in the sack head, the death of his mum, and the hockey mask. Yeah. All in the one movie, and it just strayed a little bit near the end, and it just it kind of lost its way slightly. Well, it strayed by, you know. The underground cabins yeah. and all that sort of bullshit that they pulled out. But other than that, they sort of managed to get a fair bit into it. Mm. Halloween's another one that. I sort of feel fits a little bit into this, slavishly. Not the first half. Obviously, the first half is the new part. But I just think the second half is basically a copy of the f- the original film just slammed into 45 minutes. Yeah. I know we disagreed somewhat on that because I, I feel similar that they just, you know, he did his own story and then he did 45 minutes of, of the Halloween, but I actually thought the, the portion where he was doing his take on the original one was the best part of the movie. Oh, yeah, no doubt. And, and that he destroyed his remake with what we, what we spoke about before and knowing what, knowing what to mess with. And he decided to put a whole backstory there that just ruined, took away any honest. mystique to the character. But let's be honest with the Halloween film, the remake. That's like saying, I like this pile of dog shit in comparison to this pile of horse shit because the first part was horse shit. The yeah. second part was better shit, but it wasn't. That, yeah, see, that's, I guess that's that was what one I, that didn't work at all for me. That's what I didn't didn't think. I actually thought there were parts of that that second half of Halloween, the remake, that actually really worked. It depends so, which cut you saw. Because I, I we, we saw I saw the work print. We saw the work print. Yeah, remember? we saw two. Yeah, and the work print. I actually thought the work print, other than a rape scene in his escape. Had some good elements in it yeah, that look, I kind of liked. Work print or whatever print you watched, the problem was you tried to explain Michael as a child and that didn't work at all and, in any print. And the problem was it went to the cliches. Yeah, and then but then once you got into the, you know, the remake element of it, I guess, that was where you saw some of Zombie's sort of strong visual yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. character and look, things like that. I'm not... Yeah, you know, I, I listen to a lot of horror people uh, talking about Rob Zombie and uh, Rob Zombie and ragging on him, and I don't hate the guy. I think no. as a director, he is very, very capable. Yeah, I very just wish he'd indeed. let somebody else write something that he directed because I just yeah. think sometimes he there's too many. He too wallows much of in a certain grimy pool that yeah. his characters seem to wallow in. All of them do. Yeah, he, his take on the world is that everything is shit. Yeah. Basically, there's no there's no good in there. Yeah, but visually, the bloke had some arresting visuals mm. in the, certainly in the Halloween remake. Yeah, um, even in Halloween two, some of the visuals really striking. I thought, but the movie overall. Well, was, was, was that the terrible. white horse and all that shit? Yeah, <laughs> probably not those ones. Those not visuals not as weren't the ones there. you're talking about. No, don't overthink it. I th- we we sort of covered that a little bit with Jason. You know, we've got. A bare bones sort of slasher film with our favourite killer in it, and next thing you know, we're talking about how he's digging underground tunnels and he's getting yeah. around and fucking. Here's, here's the first thing I, I don't care about in a remake. I don't care how Jason gets places quickly that physically he couldn't possibly get to. I don't care. 
I've watched ten movies where, where that's he's happened. Le- he's, he's been chasing someone slowly moving and then appeared in front of them. Yeah. I couldn't give a fuck. I've <laughs> still pay- I've handed over my money to see that. Yeah. What? Twelve times now, actually, <laughs> not ten. I've, I've handed my money over. Fuck, we would I couldn't hand it over. Rich. I couldn't hand it over fast enough. Um, I don't care why. I don't want to know Michael Myers' motivations. Don't overthink. Don't overexplain it. And I've already got a problem with the next Friday the Thirteenth because I remember they said we'll explain how Jason can can get up when he should be dead. I don't care. Man. That's the last thing I want to see. That's Man. the last thing I want explained. And that again ties into. Get people that know and care about the property. Because I think if you asked 90% of Friday the 13th fans, no one cares that he gets up. <laughs> we, we love that he gets up. Yeah. And we're, we're past the point of wondering, oh, gee, you know, he, he got shot a few times there. How'd he get up? I mean, we talked about it in Halloween as well. Michael's had his eyes shot out, but we, we were only mildly perturbed that he, <laughs> he looked like a male model in part five. <laughs> Nightmare on Elm Street's the, the remake that got it all wrong because that element of Freddy Krueger is a child murderer. At no stage in the Wes Craven film did they ever say he was a pedophile. No. Did they ever insinuate that well, he... Well, they insinuated. They insinuated. But, but they never said it but and not, they never showed it. But in fact, in the Wes Craven one, if you actually look back on it, the insinuation is absolutely minuscule. And the insinuation is left to you yeah. to imagine how far No, At no stage do they say... He, he molested anyone or anything like that. Yep. They say he's a child killer. Yep. The remake then takes him into, he's got this lair and he's taking yeah. pictures and it's all real grubby. Real seedy that we didn't need to see. But not only that, but they introduced the angle of that he was possibly innocent for a lot of the movie. Again, even though it turned out wrong, it didn't work because part of the thing about Freddie was that he was an unrepentant mongrel, mongrel, and he was coming back to kill people for doing the the right thing and getting rid of him. You know, you could have got away with that, the innocence angle, if you had a stronger film. I actually don't you think you didn't. could have. I don't think you could have got away with that because that was never a part of the character. We yeah. never thought he was innocent. We knew he was pure evil. And he was unrepentant. You know, that was part of this, the character. He was scary because rarely in your life are you going to come across someone of that, mm. you know, unremorseful for, for, for um, what actions done. like that yeah. and things. So that's why it's kind of scary and that you can't escape that evil. And if know? I'm not mistaken, Jared, the remake does a ham-fisted job of even explaining the whole he might be innocent angle. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's all over the fucking map. Yeah. And, look, I've got a real problem with that remake. I don't like it for a lot of reasons. And I'm really disappointed because I actually got a very good actor to yeah. fill that role and then they fucked it up. And, and I basically he's look, not going to get it. He's, not, he's probably not going to get another run. No, I actually think he was, I still think he was all right yeah. in the role. But he was. But he didn't he was, have a lot to work with and they changed they the doing. look so much that people were kind of uncomfortable with how he looked and yeah. stuff. So I don't think he got a fair chance, but I think if you actually look at it, he was pretty good. Yeah. Um, and, and that sort of falls back into the, um, the same thing we said about the Evil Dead remake. Robert Englund's fucking 70. Yeah, he couldn't possibly have played Freddy Krueger again. If you want to see another Elm Street, you got to get down with the fact that it's not going to be England. Yeah, you know he cannot do it anymore. Well, he probably could do it one or two times, but then you'll get the the situation like we had in Halloween Six with Donald Pleasance. Yeah, no one wants to see that. No, absolutely not. The last one on our list. Don't screw around with the classics. Mm. I'm open to pretty much anything. Yeah, same. There's only one or two movies out there that I would have a real problem with if you did it again. There's only one that really strings to mind, and that's Jaws. Yep. Other than that, I'll take them on face value, but Jaws, I think, considering that you can watch Jaws any time and it still, still holds now is a testament that it doesn't need it. Yeah, well, I, I, I'm of the same sort of opinion. I don't really care what they remake, but there is, yeah, there will be a couple of them where I go in thinking, you're really got to get this right. Halloween yeah. was one of them. So, yeah. I mean, some people might think I'm overly harsh on that remake. I think it was just crap, top to bottom. Um, but I haven't seen it for a long time. 
It's I've still, got the Blu-ray box, so I might have to whip it out. It's still crap. Is it? But yeah, for, for starters with that one, you're probably, coming, you're probably coming in with, uh, you're going to have to do a really good job of that because the first one was so great. Yeah. And, and, you know, we, we've already spoken about how there is elements that don't, don't hit with today's audiences. So I can see why you might want to re- remake it, but yeah, it, it really, you come in with a different viewpoint on things if, you, if you're making, remaking a movie like that. It also comes down to personal choice. People were adamant that the Texas Chainsaw Massacre shouldn't be made, remade. Mm. Personally, I didn't give a rat. So I thought the yeah. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the original, is a very, very ugly film. Well, I, I can't stand it. I think it's terrible. Well, I actually think it's. Uh, I mean, there's portions of it. I remember one of the chase scenes seeming to go for about twenty minutes, yeah. and I was just yeah. I, is, I don't think it's. it's I don't gar- think it's, it's the classic. Pretty garbagey. I can understand its position in the horror pantheon. I understand that, but it's like Friday the 13th. I understand where Friday the 13th, the original, sits, but I don't consider it a classic yeah. in any way. And it was ripe to be remade, and so was Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And honestly, I thought Texas Chainsaw Massacre, they got pretty well. They did a pretty good job with it. Yeah, I, I like the remake of that, and, and the same. I don't hold the original in the same reverence. Mm. Um, That's what, shits, again, shits me about the Platinum Dunes Elm Street remake. With Texas Chainsaw Massacre... They gave us gritty, brutal, but took the seedy shit out of it. The torture and the, you know, that crap yeah, that they did with the... A little bit. A, they took some of it out. With Elm Street, they then decided that, fuck, we need to go down this route. Add to it, yeah. Add to this seedy element. Well, I actually, think... uh, Elm Street was always the one that I thought was, was probably ripe for remake territory because there's so many ideas and original ideas that you can come up with with Freddie being the... The man that haunts your dreams. I mean, how, how broad is that to work with? But they, yeah, they didn't really nail it. Would you call the original Elm Street a classic? Yeah, I would. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so there's a bit of trepidation when they decided to roll out the remake. Yeah, but... but more trepidation like said, with Elm Street than there was with Friday the 13th. I mean, sure. I couldn't have given a fuck with Friday the 13th. I was like, beauty, get that yeah, shit yeah. out there. For sure. I think um, Elm Street definitely had... There was a little more reverence to it, but like I said, I, I was also aware that, that, in my opinion, Freddie was ripe for it. Yeah. You know, the, the, the original Elm Street by today's standards is extremely dated. Yes. I mean, one of the blokes is basically a greaser. He's a couple of, he's a criminal, you know, remove his criminal record. He's almost a font. You know? <laughs> so, um, this, yeah, it, it was ready to be brought into it, to a new, new era. And they, they just sort of, it was a misstep. Yeah. And look, the other thing about, oh God, the remake had a couple of interesting ideas that they just didn't use properly. Like the micro naps. The micro-naps was a really good idea. Yeah, yeah. They used it in one sequence, which was probably the best sequence in the whole movie, where she's yeah. getting the no-dos and he's coming towards her in the um, in the chemist. Although I do know that we're in the minority on that, I think. A lot of people yeah. hated the micro-sleep. Oh, I loved it. I thought the micro-sleep yeah, so idea I. was a great idea because so that's something that was not even mentioned yeah. in the original. Yep. And how many times have we had that where you fucking nodded off and you didn't realise you were even asleep? You yeah, know? yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, like my wife fucking tapped me on the shoulder. Hey, hey, no, I wasn't asleep. <laughs> Fuck, you've been snoring for 10 minutes. <laughs> what? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I thought those ideas were good, but they the movie just then just lost the plot. Mm. It's turning into an Elm Street, uh, sorry, an Elm Street sorry, plot, so we better, we better save something for when we inevitably cover yes, that. Yes, we will cover that. Other than that, I, other than Jaws, I don't see any other classics that no that stand out to me. Uh, as being as not being worthy of a remake, but again, personal choice. Yeah, that's our do's and don'ts. Mm. And our discussion topic. We'll take one last break, and then we'll come back and talk about what we're going to cover next episode. Next episode, we'll have a guest. Yes. It'll be a threesome <laughs> here at the table. You had to be the one to make I that had sort to. of gag, didn't you? <laughs> um, 
as we will be covering early Mel Gibson. Yes. 1987's Lethal Weapon. Looking forward to that one. I'm looking forward to that one as well. But until then, take it easy. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch up with you soon. Find the podcast at Podomatic or on iTunes. Don't forget to rate and review. Like us on Facebook at Thrill Me Podcast Australia or contact us at Thrill Me, all one word, all lowercase, at iinet.net.au.